Delivering great-tasting product to your customers is important. Saving energy, space, and improving operational efficiencies is good for your bottom line. A perfect choice for convenience retailers, Adande Refrigeration's patented modular units deliver so many efficiencies, it's no wonder brands such as Sheets and Get-Go are installing these temperature-stable, hold-the-cold fridges across their U.S. food courts. When it comes to refrigeration, convenience is at the very heart of Adande Refrigeration. Learn how you can excel in food service, save time, space, and energy with Adande Refrigeration at adande.co.uk or adande.com. Professionals in the know, choose Adande. You're listening to Shop Talk Live, the podcast, brought to you by Global Convenience Store Focus. Shop Talk Live is a unique video and podcast series featuring senior retail executives in the global convenience, fuels, and mobility retail industry, hosted by Dan Munford and Carolyn Schneer. Welcome to Shop Talk Live, the podcast. I'm Carolyn Schneer. In this final episode for season two, we're going to dive into EV charging in the UK. Our host, Dan Munford, sets the stage for the conversation with an overview of charging in the UK and globally. Is the on-the-go charging situation improving, and what needs to happen? How is the customer experience developing for EV drivers, and what does the charging station of the future look like? Dan and his guests from an EV hub operator GridServe, charger manufacturer Kempower, and the organizer of the event World EV Day examine the challenges and opportunities in the future of EV charging for retailers around the globe. I hope you enjoy this episode and certainly go to our website at globalconvenienceStorefocus.co.uk to see this video in its entirety on episode number 55. We'll be returning with season three in just a few short months. Be sure to subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes drop. Today, we're looking at the UK EV charging network in this Shop Talk Live EV special. Um, we cover countries all over the world. I mean, today we're focused on a market that's obviously very near to us. We're in, we're based in the UK and we've got a very interesting uh, group of guests on the program today. Um, I'll be introducing them later, but we've got A. Thomas, who's the founder at Green TV Media and also of, of World EV Day. We've got Toddington Harper, who's the CEO at GridServe, um, very exciting operator in uh, in the in the UK market. And uh, James Purton, who's Global Key Account Manager at Kempower. So we're going to have a very interesting discussion about how the UK EV charging network is developing and um, really think about uh, what's what's going to happen in the future and uh, and how things are progressing. Um, before we did that, uh, before we do that, I'd like to, to perhaps uh, talk a little bit about um, where some of the, the discussion will be will be based. And I'd like to start with um, with considering an article that we wrote in Global Seasonal Focus back in January 2022. Here it is, um, which was entitled Electric Growing Pains and Approaching On-The-Go Charging Bottleneck. Now, um, we wrote this article based upon really our experience over, over um, 15, 20 years in the Norwegian market. I've personally been going there uh, for, for probably around 20 years as a business traveler. Um, focusing on 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 what's innovations in the market and what's happening in roadside retail. Obviously, over the last ten years, we've intensified our our sort of interest in the market because uh, of the electric um, revolution that's happened first in Norway globally, and that perspective has given us a, a really exciting, well, a really a really interesting uh, insight, perhaps, into what was going to happen in other markets as well. I mean. The, perhaps the, an interesting thing to, to mention in this context is that if you look at 
the development of um, if you look at the number of fast chargers in Norway and how quickly they've been rolled out. Um, the Norwegians had pretty much from 2012 to 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 the present day to 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 do that. Um, in other words, quite a long time. What's happened? What we think is happening in other markets um, is is rather tougher. Um, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing, um, if you like, a, a far faster acceleration of the energy transition in other markets. And, and one of the things that we wanted to discuss today was, you know, how how we cope with that in, in markets like the UK in particular. Um, if we look at this other chart uh, from McKinsey, we can see where the different uh, different countries, particularly looking at new European countries um, at the top of the list, uh, where they are with EV penetration to date. In Norway, of course, as everybody knows, were you know close to nine in ten cars sold each month uh, comes with a plug, and most of those are pure EV, of course, in Norway. Iceland, not far behind. Finland and Nordics, all moving very very rapidly and progressively into electrification. Um, the UK still pretty quick, um, although not in the Norway league in terms of um, EV EV penetration. But I think the important thing to to, to bear in mind here is that. In comparison with the with the change in Norway, this is all happening quite rapidly, um, and um, and this is I think is one of the you know the the interesting challenges to think about in terms of the provision of on the go charging infrastructure in uh, to to UK EV EV drivers, and that's what we're talking about today. So perhaps um, you know we can get the discussion started on this topic, and if I can welcome Aid uh, Toddington and James uh, to join us today, welcome guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Very welcome. Now, let me just let me just introduce you you properly before we we start the the discussion about what's happening on the road uh, in in the UK as far as EV drivers are concerned. Um, Aid, uh, you're the founder at Green TV Media, uh, also of World EV Day. You're you're I'd say one of the go to um, correspondents uh, for the sector um, here on BBC Breakfast. Um, you, you're, you, you know, you, you're, you're very much an expert and enthusiast um, in this, um, and obviously have developed, have put, you know, years of your life really into into driving, um, you know, driving uh, the energy transition in, in, in the UK. And um, so, so welcome to the program, um, Toddington. Um, you're the CEO at GridServe. I mean, your your whole purpose is to is to play an is, is to is to move, I think to to quote you to move the needle on um on the energy transition isn't it yeah hi thanks um and welcome welcome you to this podcast the the the, the challenge that we are facing is if you look at the science of the uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change the world's leading scientists um it's down to us collectively um in the next decade uh, to make a difference the science of climate change is not on the side uh, and so what we are doing as uh, as an organization as individuals is everything we can to move the tra trajectory we call it move the needle on climate change from one where we're currently on track to you know well go well in excess of two degrees of warming uh, and we want to keep it to within one and a half degrees of warming which is where the world's leading scientists tell us is necessary and so we're building a, a platform to to do that both in the uk but also as a formula to replicate around the world to to enable us to um you know deliver at the speed and scale that, that's required by the climate crisis that we're facing very good and of course we saw some of your um you know the amazing de design aspects of, of of some of your sites in in the uk and some of those images we'll be we'll be looking into that in a bit more later let me just introduce 
James. James, your global key account manager at Campower. We work. We 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 know Campower very well from particularly from our trips to Norway, where you work with them. With with some of the leading operators in those in those markets. I mean, in that market, here, here you are, I think, with ESSO, which is a, operated by DCC Energy in that market. And it's one of the sites that we visit with with um, groups who are who are committed to um, to the energy transition um, uh, in roadside retail um, and and want to come to Norway uh, to see best practice. Um, um, so in other words, we've got three very interesting perspectives on this. Um, Let's just kick off the discussion with a with a with a with a question. Um, what's the situation as far as uh, on the go charging in the UK? As far as the the driver aid, perhaps you could the EV driver. How do how do they feel about the the availability of on the go charging? Um, so, well, thanks very much indeed for for having me. I, I mean, I think there are essentially two two parallel channels going on, notwithstanding the excellent work of Gridserve, who I think are, you know, the exemplar of the, the non-Tesla driving world in terms of charge point facilities. But um, if you're not a Tesla driver, it's still a pretty ragged experience, the, the charging experience. Um, you know, the, the, it, there's a lot of activity going on, but it's it's it, it's pretty tricky for for EV drivers, particularly maybe the new cohort of EV drivers. The, the first cohort of EV drivers, I think, actively really wanted to engage with the complexity of the charging infrastructure experience. The next wave, the new wave of EV drivers, the mainstream, they they are the polar opposite. They want EV charging to be super simple, not at all complex. Um, I think if you're if you're a Tesla driver, you are in a slightly different category. You know, the supercharger network is a real differentiator. It speaks to the car. The car speaks to the charging network. It, it's a seamless uh, and elegant experience. Um, you know, I, I, I would, uh, not just because Toddington is on the meeting, I would put GridServe very, very much at the top of the game in terms of delivering an elegant and simple charging experience with lots of great additional services. Um, but um, aside from GridServe, um, it, there's lots of work to be done on the charging infrastructure side for non-Tesla drivers. Well, it's a very eloquent description, I think, of, of the situation. Todd, before we come to you, can I just bring in, um, you know, one of the other businesses that that's doing their best uh, to, to to assist on this, uh, Kempower. James, what, I mean, you're based in the UK. I mean, what to know the market well, what's your view on it? Yeah, so I think it touches on a few good points. Uh, other than the occasional few, it's still quite a, a raggedy network. And what we try and do is make it as simple as possible for, you know, your your early, um, the person, people that are taking it on early, um, but also for those like, say, my mum, that will have an old Nissan Leaf and she doesn't want to understand what a volt is, what amps are and the different connectors. Really what she wants is always there for a plug to be available always for her to charge her car. And if it isn't charging perhaps as quickly as the TV advert tells you, to tell you why that's happening. So we focus on a more plugs um, way of putting out the infrastructure and the hardware. So the power follows the vehicle to where it is. So if someone is hogging the charge, the power can move from that car when it's needed. But we also particularly focus, and this is not just in the UK, but in other regions as well, that messaging that goes out to the user itself. So 
if the car battery is cold and it's limiting the charge, we will tell them why it's not charging as quickly as possible. Mm. Or uh, we will present them their charging curve on the screen so they can see when they get to certain thresholds that it will start slowing down and this is normal. So we try and make it as simple as filling up your car is at the moment. I think that's really interesting in terms of we can we can talk a little bit in a minute about the, the, the charging experience, the whole EV driver experience. Um, so, so really interesting points, Jade. And Toddington, you're you're moving at pace, aren't you, in terms of making this better for EV drivers? And Aids obviously referenced how you know how how well that 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 comes across as an EV driver. What's your perspective on looking outside of your own business and looking at the the the, the opportunities for charging on the road in the UK? Yeah, so just kind of reflecting on some of the comments, so really appreciate it, um, Aid, you know, in terms of the feedback. Uh, uh, and also, um, James, agree, the objective to making it as simple as possible. So I, I'm also an EV driver. That probably comes as no surprise. I, I've been one since 2014. Um, and I, uh, I'm, you know, I was fortunate to get a Tesla, but actually also fortunate to get a Tesla before this Tesla supercharger network worked very well. Uh, it didn't really exist, uh, and I got to understand how it progressed and developed. Um, uh, and and so what we are trying to build, you know, and it is fantastic. It's really actually just incredible. You don't worry about, you'd have no anxiety if you're in a, a Tesla, uh, whereas any other car, because you don't have that kind of smart connected ecosystem mm. where the car talks to the charger, talks to the driver and works out you know, where drivers want to go and tries to help get them get there in the, the most, you know, in the best way possible. Um, then uh, it's quite tricky for other people because there's a lot of complexity around batteries, around charging, around, you know, charge curves that James mentioned, around all sorts of different stuff. And what we're trying to do is to make that incredibly easy so that anybody anywhere can tra transition to any type of electric vehicle with a with a fantastic experience and some of the pictures that you showed initially of you know sh show what we're trying to achieve so we, we we i mentioned that we're trying to um drive the transition to uh to net zero as quickly as possible in line with the science of the ipcc's recommendations uh, to not exceed 1.5 degrees of warming and i think to get there there's, there's kind of like a carrot and a stick so the, the the stick is kind of the government saying, you know, we're going to ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030 or 2035. Um, uh, but but people, I think, operate on, you know, more focus on the carrot. You know, I want to transition to an electric car. I don't want to wait till 2030 or 2035. I want to do it now because it's better. It's easier. It's more fun. The vehicles are phenomenal. Everything about it's great. And that's what we want to get to as quickly as possible. And in answer to your question, I think there's I think there's still a, a way to go. But we're one going at one heck of a rate of knots, uh, as an example, and so are you know many of our our um, we call, you know I guess we call them competitors, but I feel that we're all kind of on the same team. <laughs> you know that there's a really big opportunity that we need to solve as quickly as possible between us to give people the confidence and and enable the mass market transition. And I think people are doing a pretty good job, and I think we're on the front foot. Well, we'll be we'll be just asking you about you know some of the different new stations that you're you're open have opened already and it will open in the future in in a minute. But just on the on the 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 if you like the customer experience for this, you know the this is a, this is still quite a new thing, isn't it? In terms of developing the customer experience, and we were just James, we were just having a chat before the program started about about Norway and 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 what's 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 developed there. They've been doing it longer than the rest of us, of course. So we've seen some some sort of focus on the improved customer experience, but there's still a long way to go, isn't there, in terms of making it easy easy for people? 
I mean, if you come back to James, if you want to go. No, uh, yeah, I think absolutely. What Norway's been great in is that they have put a large amount of plugs uh, and fast, ultra rapid chargers in the ground already. And like you alluded to in your introduction, they've had a, a longer time in to do this. But what we see in developed markets like Norway, but also um, the UK, is now merely being able to charge is not just what the customer wants to do. They want a nice site to visit, like a grid serve forecourt, for example, or they want a canopy. We are even in Norway, they are only just starting to uh, introduce being able to pay by your debit or credit card. Whereas in the UK, we've been mandated to do that for a little while now. But where that is now developing into is before tapping and going was okay and everyone accepted that. But it created problems like if it was that tap that you had to put in your pin, you couldn't. So now we are seeing uh, those needs develop into, hey, can I put a chip and pin in? Can I pay by Apple Pay? Can I get a receipt? So although other markets are further along in certain things, the market in the UK is also now starting to lead the way in others. No, very interesting. Uh, Toddington, you were going to come in. Yeah, so I mean, the the progress since 2014 has been pretty breathtaking in terms of customer experience. It was very difficult. There weren't charges, the ones that you turned up at, uh, you know, you didn't really have any insight into them. You needed a RFID card basically for every single one. Uh, I had some pretty hairy experiences. Um, where I literally was at charging locations, but couldn't charge, didn't have any energy, had to get pick up on the back of pick, pick up trucks and taken to, to locations, uh, all very educational. Um, and so on the back of that, every single charger we put in has had a contactless reader as a starting point mm-hmm. um, so that uh, people can turn up without any knowledge or anything about anything at all. You pull out a contactless card or Apple Pay or whatever you want and uh, connect to it and it, and it, and it just starts. Um, but that actually is, is, is a base level for us um there's a lot better and there's a lot more that we can do and actually when you put contactless payment readers in even though it it creates simplicity it also creates complexity in terms of how to make it work because you have to have a a physical connection to the contactless just read a card and the credit cards and all that sort of stuff and that creates you know areas for failure uh if there's a mobile phone signal issue for example so um there's quite a lot of complexity it, it creates, but where we're heading is 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 even better. Aid knows about this because we've talked about it for a little while. But we we were going to introduce um, auto charge uh, earlier this year. But we decided that the experience that we we built um, wasn't good enough. But we've got a new app that's coming in, uh, hopefully two months, maybe three months, that it's going to be knockout in our opinion, uh, and uh, and and that will be very seamless. So once you've done a charge with contactless payment, um, you can say to the uh you can say well i'd like you to remember me uh and next time the person turns up they just plug the vehicle in and it automatically starts charging and so that's a tesla-like experience really exactly and it'll it'll open up the app in your pocket and it will say hey brilliant and this is at the location and this is you know how much time and so on and so forth and and then that's just the starting point of then smart connecting all the rest of the pieces of the jigsaw to make it as awesome as possible because you, you know really um I mean, electric vehicles are just not the same as petrol and diesel. It is a different experience. And so people start with the not knowing that. And so they start thinking that what you do is you turn up and you fill up your car fully. And that's how it works. And uh, and they don't necessarily understand that if you fill it to like 80 percent, it's going to take you the same time probably as the other 20 percent. And nor do they understand you need to do that. 
because a lot of people can charge from home a lot of people charge from other locations and so really about electric vehicles I, I think it's about helping people to get where they need to get to and back and you know wherever with the right amount of charge and no anxiety at all and to do that you just need a much better connected experience for the customer for the drivers for the chargers for everything just to make it really easy so that's where it's heading and uh we're definitely um you know we're investing a lot of time effort and some brilliant brains into making that easy well that sounds very exciting looking looking forward to, to trying that out aid what's what's your thoughts on on all this well, i was interested to hear tonnington use the word experience a couple of times in in his last um in his last piece there um and i think ev charging is very much an experience which um some of which we needs to be less of an experience and some of it needs to be more of an experience what i mean by that is you know it, there is much more dwell time to ev charging than a conventional petrol or diesel fueling experience so so there is an experience to charging which you don't necessarily have as a petrol or diesel car driver when i say that there needs to be more of some of that experience and less of others what i mean is you know you need more services you need more really nice shops and and, and other and other services which the norwich and Braintree electric forecourts deliver um, but perhaps you know they're they're slightly isolated in being the only two examples of that in the in the country when i say we also need less of an experience we need sort of less of things like you know p- payments failing with rfid cards or, or whatever we need less of an experience with charges failing you know so we need we need more of a better experience of services around charging we need less of the bad experience of 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 failures around the, the technology and the payment side um so, so that's my, my my sense of things um yeah. i think it's a really good point Aid, as well um and uh i think it creates a good opportunity because you know like it doesn't have to you don't have to waste time waiting for your car to charge mm. there's quite a lot of time that you know people go and have a coffee and they don't think i just wasted 20 minutes you think oh, i had a nice cup of coffee um or i've done my emails you don't think i wasted 20 minutes you think i've just done my emails so if you can kind of connect again it's about it's about smart connectivity so when somebody arrives at a location if you can you know like while they're at the location you can get them a cup of coffee or whatever it is if it's a motorway services location you can you know get somebody something something nice to eat while you're there and uh, and align you know the time that you're spending hopefully with really good internet doing what you need to do have a phone call with the time it takes to charge then you're not actually having to waste any time per se and you can leave it going oh that was great yeah. Different emails had a cup of coffee had something nice to eat my car's yeah. charged happy days on, on i go and, and that's just a really good experience which i think people few people would argue is is better than uh, having to go to a petrol forecourt which is kind of yeah. out of your way um to uh to do you know all the stuff that that, that people do there I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, in a way, I guess one of the things that we're seeing is that the the early adopters, you know, the the, the kind of I don't know, the the explorers, were quite happy to perhaps not have an efficient day, you know, because they were ex- they were kind of experiencing something. But as this becomes mainstream, you know, the way people live has to be efficient, you know, and everyone will look at the efficient way of spending that twenty minutes uh, doing other things as well, and the charging experience has to be seamless. You know, yeah. you're 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 close to creating that. Um, a, a grid serve um pick, pick perhaps the next on. question in this just you know nice nice sort of segue into into this next question is what does the charging station of the future look like and uh, this is in norwich um we opened it uh, about a year and a half ago um we're building a very similar site like this at gatwick airport as we speak that should open towards the end of this year um so yeah i mean you know this is a question you know what does it what does the fueling station or uh, future look like we call them electric forecourts because there isn't really fuel 
And uh, I'm not sure where that phrase comes from. The, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And so this is an example, because I think these are, you know, this is real infrastructure. It, it works very well. They work very well. People are, are using these sites, um, all sorts of things. Uh, uh, we, you know, utilization of the charges is increasing. We're giving people the confidence of people who can't charge at home. So around 40 or possibly even 50% of people can't easily charge at home. And so if you build forecourts like we do serving local areas, then it, it means that anybody has the ability to, to transition to an electric car. Um, because when you need to charge, you've got somewhere that you don't, you know, you probably won't need to queue for, uh, certainly not very long. Um, and it will be very straightforward. And then what you're looking at here is an electric hub. Uh, which is that when you're on a journey, uh, like for example, using the strategic road network, particularly the motorway network, they're already designed and set up for people to spend time in. There's a lot of work people will see on refurbing uh, motorway services, huge amounts of money going in specifically to cater for the, uh, for the, for the needs of, of customers who have a longer dwell time in the future. So there's, you know, motorway services are looking pretty great if anyone's uh, hasn't seen any of the newer ones and, and the upgrades that are happening and there's a lot more to come. And so there we're focusing on building what we call electric hubs, which is groups of six, 12 or more um, uh, high power chargers. So these are 350 kilowatt chargers that we are, are putting in, which are capable of putting in, of delivering a hundred miles of charge in, in around five minutes. So cars won't accept that level of power yet, but but it's, it's being future-proofed. And we're putting huge numbers of these in. We've, we've delivered about 20 of these locations so far. To, to, to I guess, pretty useful um, context is that in addition to building electric forecourts, we acquired a, uh, a really incredible network, but uh, across the motorway network of chargers, but very old chargers in June 2021. So we spent nine months replacing every charger. Um, uh, and so, uh, uh, and, then the, and then subsequently, the last 12 months, upgrading uh, the locations to put in new grid connections and new electric hubs because these require far more energy than the motorway services themselves require. Um, we, we've replaced around 20 sites. We've added charges to around 20 of these locations so far. And there were dozens and dozens and dozens more coming this year. Uh, so huge numbers of these sites, um, as well as more electric forecourts, like in this photo, which is this was Braintree, the original, the first electric forecourt. Um, that we were really able to work out how we can create the best possible customer experience, um, you know, both for charging uh, vehicles, um, but then also for the customer. Uh, and this, again, electric forecourts serve local areas uh, in particular, uh, and actually local businesses. We're finding a lot of this, you know, a lot, a lot of it in the context of build it and they will come. This is what we've discovered too. So when we build an electric forecourt, huge numbers of people, in fact, much greater than the country average, uh, increases the the the, the yeah. uptake of electric vehicles, both for businesses and individuals, massively increases as a result of building an electric forecourt in a, in a location. Um, so that's really interesting as well. Businesses transition, taxi companies transition, local authorities start doing all sorts of innovative schemes like they've been doing in Essex. Uh, the Royal Mail starts turning up and charging vehicles. There's, there's all sorts of stuff that happens when you put this infrastructure in. Um, because I think it gives people the confidence that they can make the transition, but also the desire to do so, because it's, you know, a pretty awesome place to hang out. And of course, you can have a cost of coffee. Um, yes. You know, I mean, it's highly impressive. Um, just one question, uh, obviously, and this is something that I guess a lot of uh, operators are focused on is, is uh, how easy is it to get the EV driver out of their vehicle to do other things while they're charging? In your experience, um, Tonington? I think if you get, you know, give people a, reason to want to so for example at our four courts we have um, a number of different um, convenience uh, 
uh, you know, opportunities for people. So there's 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 WH Smiths, there's Costa Coffee, there's uh, M&S, um, there's there's more to come. Uh, there's also a lounge. Um, we also use the sites as locations for people to do test drives for electric vehicles, to learn about electric vehicles, to talk to people about electric cars. So there's all sorts of stuff. It's a completely non-pushy, non-salesy environment. Um, and there's lots of sofas, there's meeting pods where you can have uh, have meeting space. There's all sorts of stuff. So, you know, if somebody wants some of that, happy days. Uh, if they want to sit in their car and charge their vehicle, then that's fine too. You know, and equally, if you're on the motorway services, as I said, there's a lot of investment in those uh, services happening too. So, you know, we just really want to focus on the best customer experience. And, and as Aid said, for all the right reasons, uh, because people think it's a good thing as opposed to, some of the issues and it isn't that there aren't issues that there definitely are that there's such a lot of change coming actually a charging session is quite it's quite a complicated thing to to organize because unlike a petrol forecourt where you you're putting fuel into a car and the driver's kind of in control of that with uh with an electric charge it's sort of the opposite so the charger connects to the car the car tells the charger how much power it can accept at any given time and they have to be talking seamlessly through a charging session and when people are making as many electric cars as they are, all these new models and all these new chargers and all this new everything, you know, and dealing with, you know, contactless readers and cards and payment systems and backends and offices and <laughs> all that stuff, then uh, there's just quite a lot of complexity uh, to that as well. And so the objective is to make, you know, is to make it as simple as possible from a customer perspective. Uh, and if people want to go and use the facilities, fantastic. And, and I guess the objective is to try and, you know, work on what what customers would want to use. Uh, provide those facilities and, and no doubt more people will use them. Well, well, very good. Now, sustainability, we haven't brought it up yet, but obviously, well, in, in terms of exactly the, the nature of the of the grid operation, but I think it's a really important point which we we, we need to bring up. And obviously you're generating uh, power on, on site, but you've got, uh, this is a huge solar farm, isn't it? Perhaps you could give us a bit of background on how that, how that fits into the operation. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're building an ecosystem. So again, if I go back to what we're trying to do, deliver sustainable energy on the scale, uh, the speed and scale required to mitigate the climate crisis. So if you look at the, the what's got us into this situation, um, there are lots of benefits of, of um, you know, fossil fuels in terms of the transport system and, 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 and so on, but but there's environmental consequences that are that are just material um, that we need to fix quickly. And, and, it, and it, they're not caused because of combustion engine cars, that they're caused because of the whole ecosystem of well to wheel. So we we extract oil out of the ground. People don't really think about it, but the energy in oil, in fact, all fossil fuels, is stored sunlight from hundreds of millions of years ago, absorbed by plants, algae, and so on from the sun, photosynthesis, stored in the form of hydrocarbons. Um, and so when you extract oil from the from the ground, you're you're basically using um, extracting the energy from sunlight. Uh, and it's complicated because you need to build oil wells, you need to refine it in refineries, you need to uh, transport it in terms of pipelines and tankers, distribute it through petrol forecourts and depots, uh, and burn it ultimately in combustion engines, which, which sounds seems a bit of a waste when you, when you explain it like that. But 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 that whole system means that in addition to um, all the useful energy from the sunlight, we're actually pushing back into the air all of the carbon dioxide that, that, that the that the plants and animals absorbed in, in plants absorbed in the first place so um uh, what we need to build is a net zero equivalent of that which we call sun to wheel so instead of an oil well which uses as i said extracts old sun energy you can build what we have here which is a solar farm 
which uses energy that's available today. And it's pretty amazing. So in England, for example, um, we've discovered by doing uh, and building lots of this infrastructure like, like sites like this and, and, and lots of others, that for every acre of land in the UK, if we build a solar farm, we can generate enough energy every year to drive a million miles in, you know, in a modern electric car. Every acre, million miles every year. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, and so, you know, so that's the equivalent of the oil well. But that energy isn't necessarily available on demand. It's not as useful as possible. So we refine it. We build large battery projects too. You can't really see it here very clearly, but kind of sort of middle of the picture towards the towards the topper end of it, there's uh, some uh, some turquoise to containers, and they are each of those is a forty foot container full of batteries. So we think about a battery as a as a, like a refinery. Um, we transport that through cables and grids, which are much more efficient. And actually, we're now working on the next generation of solar projects, which directly connect to charging on a large scale. So large solar farms connected to large charging hubs physically, um, as opposed to just through the grid. And then uh, those are much more efficient than pipelines and tankers. Uh, and then we distribute that energy through pipe, through electric forecourts and electric hubs in motorway locations and, and other busy locations, and, and ultimately into electric vehicles. And we also lease electric vehicles and and, uh, and connect all the dots together to make it as simple as possible. So that's a whole ecosystem called uh, called uh, sun to wheel. Uh, that's actually more efficient, a lot more than well to wheel. Um, over the course of the lifetime, the lifetime, it's actually a lot less expensive, which is great. It's secure, and so that's what we're doing. That's what we're delivering and demonstrating in the UK. And it's that ecosystem that we're looking to replicate around the world quickly with other people, because only by doing so can we actually address the the issues that we have. Um, which is, you know, which is caused by the whole ecosystem of well to wheel. Pretty, pretty amazing, age. I mean, it is, yeah. I mean, it's, um, as I mentioned at the outset, you know, but all credit to Tollington and to GridServe and, and the team. I mean, they are, they are the exemplar of both sustainability and the services around delivering a, a highly efficient um, charging experience. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the word efficiency. Dan, and I, I think um, that's another key word to pick up on. And picking up on your point, Toddington, around the fact that, you know, you, you do have to wait some time. The car is working to charge whilst um, whilst you're not. You're not physically holding a, a trigger of a petrol pump. You, you can get go off and do other things. So that, that key point about efficiency, I mean, I, I really enjoy a charging experience that takes some time. If I know that whilst the car's doing its work charging up, I, I can be doing something else. You know, I'm happy to be doing... Um, another task I, I feel like I'm using my time efficiently if whilst the car's charging I'm doing something interesting uh, at the same time so um, that, that's just another point I, I wanted to make no very interesting and um, so I mean just just looking at the the some of these sites I mean how many of these solar sites have you have you built now Tollington and how many what's the you know can you give us any indication of of, of how many are needed if you look at the UK energy, energy on the go charging needs, yeah. So we, 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 I built a lot. In fact, prior to GridServe, I built a solar business that we we developed hundreds of megawatts of solar projects. These days, I, I think more in the context of miles, um, and so and that's why I brought that was using that figure about a million miles per acre. And, and what we're trying to work out is how to replicate the number of miles um uh for from solar energy um with what we consume on the network and it, it's very interesting um 
you know, so, so basically there's so much solar energy. I mean, all the energy in fossil fuels comes from solar. Ultimately, the energy in, in wind was derived from solar as well, uh, you know, in terms of creating, creating, uh, you know, wind flows around the world. And, and um, actually, we, we've done some, some, some maths and if you, less than half of a percent of the UK covered in solar panels um, uh, could provide enough energy for all of our modern transport needs. And there's around 330 billion miles um, some... every year. And, and that same land you isn't like lost or wasted. Uh, what we also do is we, we build nature sanctuaries. So the other problem as well as climate change, the climate crisis that we're facing is that according to the World Wildlife Fund for Nature, um, in the last 50 years, more than 70% of the world's wildlife has been wiped out and uh, it's horrific and uh, and it's on our watch. Um, and so what we do is we say, let's use that land that was otherwise, it was typically low grade agricultural soil that was being pretty abused by pesticides and all sorts of stuff to only grow a particular crop. Um, and, you know, lots of fossil fuels added to the soil to make it work better. So pretty barren land doesn't work very well. We ban all of that stuff. Um, we produce huge amounts of clean energy uh, and we give it back to nature. We plant wildflowers, um, and uh, and we just give it give it to nature. And it's amazing how quickly it, it recovers. Love to visit one of those solar farms and and see it for myself. I I, I don't know how easy that would be, but um, but that, that's it's do that. absolutely fascinating. I can do that. That's that's totally doable. And uh, you can meet some, you know, meet our our ecologists and and and, and mm. so forth. So it's an opportunity to give back as well because we can. It's an energy security thing too. You know, I don't think people were so worried about energy security until about the last 24 months. And now it's a, you know, it's a big problem. But it's also efficient, of course, to, to your point, Aid, isn't it? You know, it's it's an efficient use of land as well, isn't it? Uh, to, you know, to, to, to look to look at it that way. Um, just thinking about efficiency, uh, James, and what Kempower are doing globally. I mean, just we haven't really mentioned this, but Kempower originally a Finnish business, but now becoming, a, you know, a, one of the global important global suppliers to, to help this happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you look in somewhere like the Nordics, which is the most developed EV market, in terms of hardware, we are, it's hard to tell, but we probably are the market leader, if not one of the market leaders. And a reason for this to circle back round and perhaps bring this slightly full circle is the efficiency that we can offer. So what we noticed is that often you'd put in a 100 kilowatt, 150 kilowatt charger, which is fantastic. But the actual average charging speed of vehicles at the moment, if, when you take the average, is about 60 to 70 kilowatts. And OK, that figure is slightly dragged down because there's lots of historical vehicles on the road like Nissan Leafs. But you still are not achieving those high speeds for very long at all. In some cases, it might be two, five, ten minutes. So what we try and do is maximize the efficiency. And we offer a system where all of the connectors or all of the chargers really work together so that when someone's charging curve allows their vehicle to charge at a lower speed, which is the car's choice, it's not the customer's choice. So it's inevitable it will happen. What we do is we take that power and we move it somewhere else. So originally uh, retail and CPO customers were having to apply for huge grid connections, which really the data shows that they don't actually use all of it all of the time because all of the charges will not be charging at 150 kilowatts all of the time zero to 100 that's just not how it works unfortunately so we offer a system where when the cars derate 
or if there's only a few cars plugged in, the power moves with the vehicles. And if you like have a situation like I had this morning, I was plugged into a 100 kilowatt charger with two CCS2 connectors, but my battery was getting full, uh, but I was still in my meeting, so I couldn't leave. Uh, and my car was only drawing 47 kilowatts. So there's 53 kilowatts there being wasted. And instead of the other person who's plugged in being able to use them, uh, they were being told to wait until I moved my car. So the customer isn't getting a very good experience because he can't charge, or if he could charge, he would be charging a lot slower. Uh, and the operator themselves, they're not having a good experience because their charges aren't being used. And if we're candid about it, ultimately they're losing out on revenue. And if customers are going there and they can't charge, are they going to go there again? It's more, it's more than likely they'll go somewhere else where they know they will get a charge. And that's, Another one of the reasons why the Tesla network works so well is because you can see from your car how many charges are available. So the whole system is built around efficiencies and aiding those like Toddington and the others in the world to take on the minimum grid connection they need, but maximize the power available. No, it makes a lot of sense. And also, I mean, just from a point of roadside retailer operator point of view, I mean, thinking of, of I think the, the DCC SO sites, they 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 like the idea of having the the chargers front of store, you know, rather than away in the background at the back of the lot in a sort of grimy location. You know, they want to put it right next to the store, which is very convenient for customers and, and encourages them to move, go into the store, which everybody wants. Yeah, and we see the proposition is now starting to change. At, at first, people simply wanted uh, a charger to be there and that it works. And we spoke earlier about giving them a reason to get out of the car. So now we are seeing, particularly with certain customers of ours, they are really working on that reason to get them out of the car and get them into the store. So this might be uh, certain things like when you plug in, it will recognize that you are a frequent visitor and it will give you offers at certain retail locations and store. So it's giving you an excuse to get out of the vehicle, but also, it's keeping you within that retail ecosystem, which is perfect if you're a, a retail CPO customer. Um, so a lot of it now is being built around, if you're at a motorway services, you will have uh, more power there on site. So you can have higher speeds, particularly. But for those certain locations where you may want to keep your customers there for, say, 30, 45 minutes, like a retail park, for example, and the odds are they don't need to get in and out within 10, 15 minutes to get on their journey and back on the motorway. Because you can spread the power available across multiple connectors, if you spread it further, then you can sort of aid drivers to be there for longer, and it encourages them to be out their car for longer as well, because their car will take slightly longer to charge. So within our hardware, you can build up not only the dwell time, but all the customer offering to the location is the idea. Well, we I, we like your thinking, and 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 we were very impressed um, to, when we when we came across Kempower in Norway. Hence, wanting to to invite you on to, to the program. So, thanks very much, James. Um, um, Aid uh, and um, Tonington, are you optimistic about the future? Uh, our final question, really. Perhaps Aid, take that one first. Do you mean in terms of the charging experience or do you mean in terms of climate, fighting climate change? You can take it any way you like. Um, I am struggling to be optimistic about the future in relation to climate change. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think the IPC science that we see shows that we're losing 
that battle at the moment. Um, so I, I, it, it's a struggle to be optimistic. Um, I'm very optimistic about the transition to e-mobility. I, I think that's going to happen at pace and faster than people think. Um, you know, the, the cars are just much better experiences. It, 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 you know, when you realize that new technology is better than old technology, you quickly transition over. And I think we're seeing the Osborne effect kick in where once 15% of a consumer cohort think the next thing is better than the previous thing, then the other 85% quickly transition over. Um, so I, I think the transition is going to happen much more quickly than people imagine. And hopefully that will assuage some of my uh, pessimism about our ability to combat climate change. Indeed. And, and Toddington, lastly, optimistic? Yeah, I mean, like, I think we've I think it's important that we appreciate we're living in a very, 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 very unique time in history where we understand with great clarity um, the issues that we're facing and what's got us into the situation and the timeframes available. I mean, we know what 1.1 degrees of warming looks like. It looks like 40 degrees uh, temperatures in the UK. It looks like global heat waves. It looks like global flooding. It looks like fl uh, fires. Uh, it looks like hurricanes. It it's horrific. And, uh, and 1.5 is, is going to be worse. And two two degrees is ninety nine percent of all the world's coral reefs cannot survive, and so it's pretty horrendous. And, and and we have a unique opportunity to do something about that. And it's important that we don't sort of say, well, we it's too difficult because because it is seriously difficult because everything we do will have an impact that can help. You know, one point seven is better than you know two. You know, it's better than two point one. And 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 you know, as I said, one point one is where we are now. We know the impact of that. So history will judge us. You know, they we will be looked at and said when the world's leading scientists of the IPCC gave their final, you know, synthesis report assessment in March 2023, and the world was told, this is your time, uh, this is your final warning, you need to act, and the solutions were available, uh, uh, how did you do? And, and I want to be one of those people and um, the, the era that goes, you know what, we knocked it out of the park, we, 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 we took responsibility and saw the opportunities presented by addressing this challenge, which are equally, you know, proportionate to the to the scale of the um, of the challenge we're facing. And we grabbed it with both hands and we knocked it out of the park. And I, I just think that's the, the frame of mind which we're in, and that's what I would encourage everybody else to 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 be in as well. But this is also a team a team effort. You know, we all need to collectively do everything we can within the timeframes available. It's a very rare situation that there is nothing to lose and so much to win. Um, so let's so let's win. Well, I, look, that's very powerful. I can't, uh, I, I don't think anyone can add to that. And I think that's, a, you know, that's a very important statement for us for us all to consider. And um, it's absolutely delight to have you on the programme, Tonnington, yourself as well, Aid, in terms of what you bring in, James, for, you know, for, for explaining the sort of the, some of the infrastructure insights that, uh, that you know, Kempower are, are all over of uh, in, uh, in terms of this respect. So, so thanks very much, everybody, for joining the programme today. Uh, fantastic discussion and uh, real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Shop Talk Live, the podcast. This episode was produced by Dan Munford and Nick Scherzer with support from Jenna Ferguson and Lorraine Evans. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Carolyn Schneer, and music was provided by Wolfgang Worley. Tune in every other week for new episodes, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and learn more at globalconvenienceStorefocus.co.uk.